many of you that may not have been here on Tuesday night, uh, we were able to see about $14,000 come in uh, for the offering and another about $3,000 from the auction um, this past week. So amen to that, right? Praise the Lord. And so we're moving forward with the um, auditorium remodel. The wood wall is completed. I think they're going to start on the platform of this week. And so hopefully we'll be in there very soon. As you can tell, we need to be back in there. It's a little crowded in here, but that's good. I kind of like it in here, to be honest with you. And so I don't know. Maybe we'll just sell the other auditorium. And, um, and I'm into selling stuff right now, okay? We're selling everything. My kids are next. The auditorium's next. So, uh, man, it was just a great week. Thank you for being faithful and uh, for participating uh, I'm, I'm uh, super, I've been waiting for the conference to end to just kind of tell you about so many other things that are coming. So give me just a quick moment to tell you about a couple things that are coming so you really want to pay attention to. Uh, first of all, uh, next week during Thanksgiving week, our Wednesday night service is being moved to Tuesday night. And it's just going to be a testimony worship service. And there's going to be some pie served here as well. So it's going to be a fun fellowship type night. There's no, uh, I don't, we're not, there's no children or, or um, uh, teen ministry. It's just all together here. And so uh, be watching out for information on that. Also, uh, on the 5th of December, uh, which is our first Sunday of December, we have a celebration Sunday where we're going to share with you some of the things that God did this year. We'll also be approving the church budget uh, for the following year um, as we look at that together that morning. And then December 12th is uh, Christmas at Harvest, or I said Harvest, uh, that's what we used to be called, uh, River City Baptist Church, and we have an awesome celebration with, with great music and preaching on Sunday morning, and then in the afternoon, uh, we go out and have basically a Christmas picnic fellowship together, it's a lot of fun, a lot of great food, and it's a great activity, there's kids activities planned, and so you want to be there, and then, I know you're not going to remember all this, but I feel like I need to say it anyways, um, man, as soon as we turn the first of the year, there are some awesome things coming, and I want you to get them out on your calendar. First of all, on January 9th, uh, we have a, a concert here at River City Baptist Church by the Irwin family. I don't know if you've heard of the Irwin family. If you're a, Certainly if you're a Southern Gospel uh, uh, lover, you've heard of them. They're a young singing family uh, from Texas, a great family. They've won Dove Awards, Academy Award nominations. They're just really, really good. They're going to be with us on Sunday morning, and then we're going to have an afternoon uh, concert with them after lunch here at the church. And uh, there's going to be some limited tickets offered through Eventbrite. We're not expecting our church to buy tickets, okay? We just want you to be here. But people that are outside of the church, we're going to have a limited number of people to come to that concert because of the space that we're going to have, some of the issues we might have there. So mark it on your So if you have a friend that you want to bring with you, which would be awesome, uh, you're going to need to get a ticket through Eventbrite. And that will all be available this week coming up, so pay attention for that. And then one other thing. Uh, the first weekend of February, this, I'm sorry, the second week of February, the 9th, 10th, and 11th, or maybe it's the 10th, 11th, and 12th, we're having a conference here called Church Advance, and it is actually for pastors and ministry workers, and uh, it's already up on Eventbrite. Nobody from River City Baptist Church needs to register for that. It's going to be free for you. Uh, but we're having a Thursday night, Friday night worship service, and a Saturday worship service as well. We have Kurt Skelly and Carrie Schmidt coming in. It's, it's focused on pastors, but the worship services are for everybody. And it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to be an absolutely fantastic weekend together. And I just want you to kind of get mindful of some of those things that are coming up and uh, look forward to having you at all those events. Let's take our Bibles this morning and go to Mark's Gospel, Chapter 5, where we left off last time before the conference. We were studying Mark's Gospel 
And we are in the life of Christ, studying the life of Jesus in a chronological fashion. So sometimes we may be in John's gospel, Luke's gospel, Matthew's gospel. Jesus has uh, finished up the real, his first real tour through Galilee. Remember, Galilee is the area of Israel north of Jerusalem by the Sea of Galilee. That's why they call it Galilee. Jesus has been preaching in places like Capernaum, which was his ministry base of operations. Jesus, in Mark chapter 5, is going to go across the Sea of Galilee over to the uh, uh, east side of the Sea of Galilee. And he's going to minister to some Gentiles, namely the maniac of Gadara. We looked at that story. And then, of course, uh, now he's come back across the sea, as you see in verse number 21. And he's come back, and we've already looked at the story of him healing the woman with the issue of blood. But there's a, an interesting um, issue that takes place here because Jesus was on his way to do another miracle when he heals the woman with the issue of blood. And so I want you to, I want you to get that thought in your mind, and I want to begin reading at verse number 21. We have not read this verse yet, so get the picture. Jesus has just come now across the sea. He's been over on the east side of Galilee healing the maniac of Gadara. Now he's coming back across the sea again, and the Bible says in verse 21, Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, and she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him. And a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now, in verse number 25, we're going to pick up the story that we looked at last time we were here, okay? So get the picture. Jairus has come. He's asked Jesus if he would come and heal him. Jesus says, absolutely, I'm going to come and heal your daughter. Now he's got this multitude thronging him as he's walking toward the house of Jairus. Everybody follow me so far? Now look at verse number 25. Now a certain woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. So, so we now see the story we've already looked at. Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house, and, he, and this woman in the crowd reaches out and touches him, and all of a sudden now you've got this stop. Remember, Jesus is on his way to heal Jairus' daughter. And he gets stopped now by the woman with the issue of blood, and he heals her, and he has this conversation with her that goes all the way down to verse number 35. So look at verse 35. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house and said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble you, the teacher, any further? And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult. And those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but is sleeping. And they ridiculed him because he had put them all outside. He took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him, Peter, James, and John, and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumai, that's an Aramaic 
word, which Jesus more likely spoke Aramaic. It's just kind of an interesting little thing there. I, I, you say, why did they do this in the Bible? Do I look like I know? Okay, I don't understand electricity, but I don't sit in the dark, amen? Okay, some people have suggested that the word itself in Aramaic would have been better understood by the people that were listening because literally translated, it means my little lamb. So again, I don't know. Why did he say telestai on the cross? Why did they do that? I don't, I don't know why, the, why the, sometimes the Bible gives us these phrases like that, but that's what it means. Little daughter, rise. Little, little lamb, rise. Immediately, verse 42, the girl rose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they, went, and they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and said something should be given her to eat. Amen. Now, this is God's word, and I want to speak to you on the subject this morning. He's always on time. He's always on time. Now, what seemed to be a distraction... An interference, what seemed to be something that took Jesus away from the mission that he was set out on, what seemed to be a delay, was not, in fact, a delay at all. Always remember this. God is always on time. I read an article this week called Never Be Late Again. It was written by a woman named Diana Delanzor who was always notoriously late. She said, it did not matter what time I got up, I could get up at 6 and still be late for work at 9. She was reprimanded at work, lost friendship. Her timely husband was always mad at her. She couldn't stand being late, yet she just couldn't fix it. So she went on a lengthy study and a lengthy transformation of life that began with a research at San Francisco State University where 17% of the people that she interviewed said they were chronically late. She concluded people who were chronically late often wrestle, <laughs> this is crazy, often wrestle with anxiety, distraction, ambivalence, or other internal psychological states. They're often prone to overeating, gambling, and drinking. So if you're always late, I don't know. <laughs> one, one guy said about this, he said, you know, trying to tell someone to stop being late when they're always late is like trying to tell a dieter to stop eating too much. He said, it's not that simple. That's why we have things like Weight Watchers. The problem is, it is a serious issue. She goes on to write about the transformation that she went through, and she shared with people basically a couple of principles, three principles in the book. Number one, she said, you need to relearn time. Every day for two weeks, write down each task you have and how long you think it's going to take to have you and then mark how long it actually tax, uh, takes you and then readjust. Number two, she said, never plan to be on time. Late people always aim to arrive to the minute and leave no room for contingency. In other words, if I live eight minutes from the office and i got to be at work at 9 o'clock, I'm going to leave at 8.52 and we all know that that's a bad idea. Step three, she said, welcome the wait. If the thought of getting anywhere ahead of time freaks you out, plan on doing some activity in the interim. I do this all the time. If I've got to be somewhere at 1030, I'm going to get there at 1015, and I'm not going to stand there and look stupid. I'm going to sit there and read a book until uh, the time is for me to be there. Now, <clears throat> without pointing to anyone else in your row, <laughs> do you know someone who always struggles to be on time? No matter the occasion, no matter the time, no matter the place, the only thing you can actually count on of this person is that they will, in fact, be late. Today, I want to encourage you 
You will never say that about God. God is never late. God is always on time. And even if he seems to be running late, you can rest assured that God will always be on time. The song says, even when I, every time I feel discouraged, I don't have to wonder where he'll be. God has been in time, on time, every time for me. And that's what we learn in our story today. In our story today, this man Jairus comes to Jesus with a very, very, very complex and, and difficult situation. His daughter was at the point of death. She had been sick for some time. This sickness had gone on now. Now he's struggling. You can imagine the, uh, the, the fear and the anxiety that this man had. But he comes to Christ. And Christ actually agrees. I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to come with you. And in the middle of it all, he is stopped by a woman with another issue. And the Bible says he does stop. And he takes care of it. In the meantime, the little girl dies. Christ is going to go anyways. And through there, he's going he's to perform this great miracle. And the big lesson through this entire story is simply this, God is never late. And I want to share with you the three parts of this story this morning. First of all, you see a father's desperate plea. A father's desperate plea is in verses 21 through 24. The man was a religious man. Notice it says here in verse 22, Behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. The Bible tells us a little bit about this guy. He was a religious man. He was a ruler of the Jew. Uh, a ruler was not necessarily a priest or a pastor, but he would have been essentially like the coordinator of all the events that took place. People that were scheduled to speak. The public reading of scripture at public gatherings. He was to see that everything was done decently and in order. And in Israel, this would have been a very respectable, very high paying job. He was influential, he was well-known, he was wealthy, and he was religious. May I just stop and say this? Just because you're religious, wealthy, and influential does not mean that you are exempt from difficulty and trouble in your life. Be very clear in your life to know that just because I go to church or just because I'm trying to be faithful to God, that does not exempt me from difficulties and trouble. Sometimes we think that God is in our lives like a genie to be rubbed out of his lamp only whenever we are in trouble. And that is not why God exists in our lives, to just keep us comfortable and keep us out of trouble. This man's name means God had enlightened him. He was a leader. He was involved. He was spiritually minded. And think about this. That is all true, but he was spiritually minded and involved in a corrupt system of faith that actually had been in antagonism toward the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, Jesus was an outcast at this point. Think of what it must have taken for this religious man to go through all the scorn, all the questions, all the skeptics. He probably talked to somebody else about it at the synagogue. And when everybody at the synagogue was turning against Christ, this man ran to Christ. It leads me to another thought here. The fact of the matter is, just because you're religious doesn't mean you will never have trouble and difficulty in your life. But also, just because you're religious doesn't mean that you don't need Jesus Christ. Folks, listen, religion is not the answer. Jesus Christ is the answer. And just because you come to church, the fact of the matter is just because you're here today does not necessarily mean that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Hey, you being at church does not make you a believer any more than standing in your garage makes you a car, okay? Just because you're a religious person, just because you're a church person, frankly, just because you're a good person doesn't mean you don't need Jesus Christ. Every single person needs the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a religious man, but he was a desperate man. 
The Bible says here in verse number 23, he begged him earnestly. He was begging for Jesus to do something in his life. You ever been there in your life? You ever been in a place where you absolutely desperately needed Christ to do something in your marriage, in your home, with your kids? And frankly, he carried a significant burden. I mean, just, just try to put yourself in this guy's shoes for a minute. His daughter, who we learn later in the text, is 12 years old, is so sick that he knows she's about to die. Now, I don't know how you, if you've ever been in a situation where your children were suffering or in pain or hurting, or you weren't sure how things were going to go, but it will put you in a very vulnerable and desperate situation. I'll never forget when Adriana was about one, I think. We lived in California, and I remember uh, she went for a routine uh, check at the doctor, and the doctor said, hey, I've heard heard something off in her heart. I'll never forget this. And they, they referred us down to Los Angeles. We had to go down to the, one of these big hospitals, like one of these high-end hospitals in L.A. And I still remember taking Adriana in the room. She won't, I don't think she remembers any of this. She, she has a pretty good memory. But I don't think she remembers this. And I remember they, 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 they laid her down on that, 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 that bed, and they took all those little sticker things and stuck it all over her chest and her tummy, and she didn't know what was going on. And, and I just remember thinking to myself, Lord, please, you know, don't let anything like really serious be wrong. You ever been there? And I didn't even know there was anything wrong, but just the thought of maybe something might be wrong put me in a very uncomfortable place. In fact, just a few weeks ago, Brent was getting ready for, uh, for bed, and, uh, and Angie was uh, helping him uh, kind of get, get everything uh, sorted out. And, and she was like, hey, I want you to go take a shower before bed. So right there in the living room, Brent, just he took off his shirt and started heading to the bathroom. And, and he took off his shirt, and I'm not kidding. As soon as he took off his shirt, Angie said, Brian, you've got to see this. You have got to see this. And she walked Brent over to me, and, and he had these big, big brown spots on his back. And, and, it, and we'd never seen him before. And it immediately freaked us out. And I did what you should never do when you're freaked out about something. I Googled it. Listen, whatever you do, if you think you're in trouble, do not Google it, or you will think you're going to be dead within 24 hours. I mean, Angie, Angie, Angie snapped a picture, she sent it over to Sarah, who's a nurse. She's like, what do you think this is? And, and, and I mean, it was, it was big. It was like a big bump. It was ugly. And, and as soon as I, I, I typed it, this is what I typed into Google, brown spot on back, search, and boom, all these searches. And I mean, literally, I saw the first images. I was like, well, that's, that's it. It looks exactly like that. And it was skin cancer. Now, Angie's not sitting with me. She's in the other room. She's freaking out. I'm freaking out. I'm on Google freaking out. God, no, no way. And then Angie calls out about five seconds later and goes, Brian, one of them just fell off. <laughs> I was like, what are, you t- what are you talking about? Things don't just fall off. Like, skin cancer is not just going to fall off the kid's back. She said, no, I'm not kidding. Come here and look at it. And I walked in there. Sure enough, the biggest one of the two had fallen off. And I reached my hand up there and I scraped the other one off. The kid had mud all over his back that had dried up from soccer practice that day. And I thought, you little dirty bird, are you kidding me? But man, I got to tell you, that in-between time, that time of like, what is going on? You can understand why this person was so burdened. Let me ask you a question. It may not be a physical burden, but I wonder if anybody here in the room is carrying a burden for a child that you have. I wonder if there's somebody in the room that maybe your kids are growing and out of the house and you're feeling a, a burden about the fact that they're not a follower of Christ, that their lifestyle and their choices are breaking your heart. 
There ought to be a burden on our lives about our children. Somebody help me up here. There ought to be. There ought to be a burden on our heart about the, the children that we have raised that are now raising our grandchildren. And maybe the condition that they find themselves in. I'm just simply telling you, friend, that this man had a desperate plea that he brought to the Lord. And then secondly, we learn this. Not only was there a father's desperate plea, but there was an interruption in the master's arrival. I mean, verse 25 and verse 36, Jairus would hope these weren't even in the Bible. Can you imagine? Look, I am the most impatient person in the entire universe. And the worst thing for me is traffic, okay? Now, what happened in this story would have been similar to an, uh, your, your family being in an ambulance, being rushed to the hospital in an emergency, and all of a sudden the ambulance hits knotted up traffic on Beach Boulevard. I mean, just the stop. The, what are we doing here? Come on, let's get going. Can you imagine what Jairus felt? His daughter's dying. All of a sudden, this woman comes up and grabs the hem of Jesus' garment. Jesus heals her, and he's entering into a conversation. Can you just see Jairus over here, like, tapping his foot, checking his watch? You know, what is he thinking? What is he saying? What is he mumbling? If the problem wasn't bad enough, it is now exasperated by a delay. But I need you to learn something this morning. Nothing can interrupt God's timetable. The Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1, to everything there is a season, watch this, a time for every purpose under heaven. Friend, I got good news for you this morning. It doesn't matter what your clock says. It doesn't matter what the watch says. If there is a moment of time on the clock, that moment of time on every clock in every country in every time zone in the world, God has a purpose for every, come on, He has a purpose for every second, every minute, every hour, all over the globe. This thing didn't catch God by surprise. Psalm 31 verse 15, my times are in your hands, the Bible says. Think about Genesis chapter 21 verse 2, for Sarah conceived and bore him a son in his old age. I love this, at the set time of which God had spoken of him. She had a child after she had ceased being able to have children. And yet the Bible says it actually happened at the time God set that it was going to happen. I think of the story in the Bible in John chapter 11 when Jesus was informed that Lazarus was, was dead and he comes, according to the women of the story, four days late. And what happens? What did, what did, what did, what did Martha say to Jesus? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. <laughs> And then Christ is going to intervene and say, no, no, this all happened for the glory of God. It's all happened that I would do a greater miracle. Friend, I've got to encourage you. I know it may seem things are running behind. I know it may seem that things are out of control. I know that you may not understand and, and feel like that whatever you're going through right now is under God's control. But believe me, you've got to believe me. Even when it seems like the chances of survival, the chances of this happening are over, it's all in God's time. So God is never interrupted by anybody else, anybody's choices, and what they're doing in life. And while we wait on the Lord, we must continue to believe. Look at what it says here uh, back in chapter 5 and look down, if you will, at verse, excuse me, number 36. While he was still speaking, or for, verse 35, while he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house and said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Man, that sounds like people who get discouraged, been out of shape about what God is or is not doing. It, it's kind of like saying this, what's the use? Why, why pray anymore? That's what they said. Why bother the master? Why ask anymore? Have you ever been there? 
I, why should I even pray about this anymore? Why should I even talk about this anymore? Why should I witness anymore? Why should I? There's no use. That's what they said to him. There's no use. And what does Christ turn around and say? He says, do not be afraid, only believe. Folks, listen, when it is dark, when Jesus seems to be late, there's only one thing we are to do, and that is this. Keep believing that God's timetable always works out best and keep serving God no matter what because Galatians 6 verse 9 says, let us not grow weary in well-doing for in due season we will reap if we faint not. That's what Christ says. When you think there's no hope, you should never ever give up hope. So number one, there is the man's desperate plea. Number two, there's an interruption in the master's arrival. Then finally in verses 37 through 43, there is a child raised from the dead. A child raised from the dead. Verse number 37 says this. It says that he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? Look at this. This child is not dead but sleeping. He gives assurances to this family through his word. Listen to this. What he basically said was this, this is not the end of the story. You are viewing her as if she is dead and this is over and you're about to dig a grave and there's no hope, there's no end. But he says this, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. Now, here's the amazing thing about that phrase sleeping in the Bible. Oftentimes in the New Testament, the idea of sleeping is the word that God uses to describe a Christian who has died. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, he says it like this. He says, I don't want you to, uh, to be misinformed about those who have fallen asleep. And the word fallen asleep is about people that have died. And what does he say? I don't want you to be misinformed about people that have died or have fallen asleep. Why? Because there's coming a day when the trump of God is going to sound. And they're going to hear the voice of the archangel. And the dead in Christ shall rise. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the cloud to meet the Lord's there. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. I'm here to tell you, friend, even death is not the end of the story for the child of God. In fact, if you are dead, you're just asleep in Christ. And one day in the resurrection, come on, God is going to wake you up and send you right to heaven with Him to be reunited body and soul for all of eternity. It's never over for the child of God. The assurances of Christ. The actions of Christ. He looks at the girl and grabs her by the hand and says that phrase, Talith Kumai, little girl, little lamb, I say unto you, arise. That's all it took. All it took was a touch of his hand and a word from his mouth. Well, you ought to be encouraged about that this morning. All it takes from Jesus is a touch of his hand and a word of his mouth to create the universe in six literal days to raise the dead. This would be uh, one of many times that Christ would raise somebody literally from the dead, only a precursor to his own resurrection from the dead. The actions of Christ show that he can bring life from death. And then there's the awe of the crowd. The Bible goes on to say in verse number 42, immediately the girl rose and walked for she was 12 years of age. Look at this. And they were overcome with great amazement. And here's the big lesson there. I mean, when you back up just to verse number 35, all hope is gone. And, and, and let me ask you a question. Which 
was a greater miracle. Christ taking away a fever from a sick girl or Christ taking away death from a dead girl? Could it be that what Christ is actually doing in your waiting is looking to perform the greater miracle? That in his time and in his way, he will do something far greater than what you're asking. He will do something far greater than you could even imagine. He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. What a story. Look, I tell you, it would have been a story for sure if Christ would have healed the girl in her fever. But what a story indeed when he raised her up from the dead, waiting on Christ, brought the greater miracle. And here's the amazing thing. When God puts something in his time and in his way, he gets a job done that is extraordinary and will bring a wow to those who experience it. Think of Esther. Esther's in a fascinating story. Her parents died when she was a little girl. She was adopted by her uncle, Mordecai. She was deported from her home and family and brought into the Persian kingdom as an outcast, an outlier, a refuge, an orphan again. And yet, God in His time and in His way created a problem in somebody else's house, the king, that allowed just by chance Esther to be brought in by God's favor into the kingdom and she became the queen of Persia. And as you well know, after that there was a lie by a guy named Haman who tried to manipulate the situation and get the king to destroy all the Jews that were in that land. Now you probably are catching on the story where Mordecai and Esther are going back and forth. He's outside of the palace. She's in the palace. And they're talking back and forth about what are we supposed to do. And what does is, what is, what is, uh, Mordecai say to Esther? It's one of the most famous verses in all the Bible where he says, Who knows? Maybe that you've been brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. And she was. All the waiting, all the hurt, all the struggle, all the sorrow. God, come on. He brings a little a little, a orphan girl out of nothing, out of absolute obscurity. He throws her into a spotlight. He makes her an intercessor. Watch this. To cast down the lies of the enemy and bring life to the people of God. Oh, she was a savior indeed, friend. And I'm here to tell you that you in your life are here right now for such a time as this. There's no mistake. There's no accident. I don't know what's going on in your life right now, but I I want to tell you, you are right where you want to be. You are right where God has you, right on time. And sometimes it's hard to see that. In October 1982, the Badgers of University of Wisconsin were playing the University of Michigan in a football game. They were getting stomped by Michigan. Yet as the game continued to progress, something interesting happened because... Although Michigan was running all over Wisconsin, the fans in the stadium continued to cheer. Because 70 miles away, the Milwaukee Brewers were beating the St. Louis Cardinals in the third game of the World Series. And many of the Wisconsin fans had stopped watching the football game and were tuning in to the game taking place 70 miles away. 
And that's exactly where many of you sit today. If all you saw was the little field you were sitting around, there wouldn't be a whole lot to cheer about. But when you take a look up and you realize that there's something else going on, something greater, come on, something greater going on at the same time, that God's at work. He's always at work. That God's always on time. He's always on time. He's always working it out for your good and His glory. It will give you a reason to celebrate. It will give you a reason to rejoice. It will give you a reason to press on. Because God is always on time. Let's pray together if we could. If you're here for baptism, you can go ahead and make your way to change.